Hello, beautiful light bulb souls. This is Trisha Barker. Thank you so much for your attendance at the second annual online near-death experience summit. If you missed it this Sunday, there will be a replay link to purchase through the University of Heaven, and I will leave that link below. Also, thank you to everyone who has purchased my book, either through Audible or ebook or paperback. It means so much to hear from readers and to hear your journey with spirituality and with healing and with some of the issues that my book brings up in education and in other walks of life. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is a remake of some of my YouTube videos that I've uploaded to the podcast format because I know that many people do enjoy not using data and listening to podcasts. So it's great to connect with you and may you be blessed. Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I am so excited to talk about lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences with Inez Beyer, and she is the author of Death is Not the End, Understanding the Transition Between Lives, which includes a lot of research and organized thinking about near-death experiences and how this can really help heal us, apply these principles to our lives, and help us in a variety of ways. She also teaches at the Academy of Consciousness, which fascinates me. So thank you for being here with me, Ines. Thank you, Tricia. Thanks for having me on. And my first question, I'd really like to start with uh, lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences. And if you could give me a little bit of background about how you got into teaching yeah. uh, people to have these yeah. experiences. I'd love it. Yes, absolutely. I have had uh, spontaneous out-of-body experiences and lucid dreams also, but there are separate things, lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences. But I've had them as a kid spontaneously, like floating around my room or uh, flying out the window and around the neighborhood. Uh, but very rare, maybe once in a while. And I thought it was a very, like a, cool experience, but I didn't understand it. And later I started reading up uh, on it uh, much more and reading books about it. And, uh, but I didn't really practice it. I was too young um, until really I found the, the IAC, the Academy of Consciousness, International Academy of Consciousness, which uh, has different centers all over the world, but they have one here in Culver City uh, near where I live. And um, I heard a lecture and uh, they were talking about um, how we can use out-of-body, how we can train it and how we can use out-of-body experiences to explore other dimensions and to experience ourselves as a soul or consciousness outside the body. And uh, since I had read about it and had that, uh, it totally made sense. And, um, and that kind of was the time for me to dive in and I wanted to um, have more of them to really like produce them more um, more often, more at will, and really take advantage and explore, you know, at that time. Do you have them pretty frequently? Are you able to, like, say, you know, once a month have several, or do you um, go through periods of time? I have, yeah, I have uh, phases. So certainly during the time where I was um, I really got into it, I think it was 2008 uh, when I took the training, and then that whole year I practiced almost every night, at certain energy work and uh, out-of-body techniques. And uh, I had a lot of them during that period. And I still do, but I'm busy with a lot of other things that I don't practice as often, but I still have them, yeah. Yeah, so my understanding of it comes from Carlos Castaneda, and right after my near-death experience, mm -hmm. I um, looked at my hand as my signal, and I was like, if I see my hand in the dream, I'll have a lucid dream. And I meditated before bed. I also wasn't working, you know, because I was healing. And so I had lots of time to concentrate on creating lucid dreams, and it was easier in that state. Do you, do you encounter people who are able to do it when more frequently when they're not as stressed out by life? Um, is that something you teach yes. at the center about how to meditate more yes, and get in that uh, de definitely so that happened more for you like as you were recovering and just more resting and okay yes uh, so so one thing is that uh certainly when our body is a little bit weaker 
it's we sometimes say our energetic body or non-physical body or astral body whatever you want to call it it's not as closely connected um it has a little bit more room or freedom to roam around and then it's easier to have lucid experience spiritual experiences um psychic experiences and out-of-body experiences and uh, so definitely, yes, if you have a lot of stuff going on in your life that is very much about physical life, it's harder to have them. Uh, it just takes training and, and practice and it's possible. But let's say, you know, like you're going through a breakup or you're moving or you're just very concerned with things here. Um, it's very hard to um, get your mind to that place to to kind of disconnect from the physical you have to be able to disconnect from the physical a little bit to connect to the other realms it seems that meditation is a key definitely a key for me if i can get to those realms where i'm yes. disconnected then yeah. sometimes if i do that before sleep it it helps but you're yeah. Yeah. relaxation are... relaxation just having a peaceful state of mind you know, only doing that can already uh, produce it, but then there are other things that can help it, that can optimize it. So during that phase when you were having a lot of them, did you notice that you were manifesting more in life too? Did you feel like the lucid dreaming helped you in, you know, this reality as well? Um, yes, absolutely. Well, first I want to explain the difference between lucid dreaming and out-of-body yes because i feel like sometimes that's not as clear so the the lucid yes. dreaming is when you're still inside your body and you are dreaming and uh, at some moment in your dream you there's some kind of trigger that catches your attention or sometimes it could be a nightmare or something that is strange that you feel like wait wait a second you know something is unusual that wakes you up you get like a boost of lucidity and uh you get a little bit of um, lucidity, basically. So then you get a control over the dream to change the dream, to change the scenery, and uh, even to decide, to, to decide what you want to dream. But in a sense, uh, we separate that still from the outer body because you're still inside your, the astral body, still located inside the body, and there's still dreaming happening here. Uh, when in the outer body experience, by the way a lucid dream is very close to getting out of body so if you have a lot of lucid dreams it definitely is a springboard it'll help you to have out of body experiences so then out of body experience where your your non-physical body actually disconnects and there are um, real sensations of disconnections uh, like vibrations or like a buzzing or like a a pull outside the body um, you don't have that every time you have an out-of-body experience, but these are more common with out-of-body experiences. And uh, you actually move away from the body to a distant location. You interact with um, other in the other dimensions or in the physical. So here's an interesting thought, and I wonder if you've encountered anyone who's done this in a lucid dream. So, you know, say when I was doing it, I'd see my hand and I'd go, okay, that's my trigger. Now I can create whatever I want. But there are other times I just got a little bit of lucidity and then I might go see someone that I know. I entered someone else's dream and it was their dream wow. and they remembered that I was there and they didn't understand why I was there. <laughs> like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> just that, you know. Yeah, actually that to me sounds almost a little bit more like an out-of-body experience because really? you have joined out-of-body experiences. And then, yes, if two people meet outside the body, they can have the same memory of an experience. But a dream would be something that your brain makes up. So right. I think... It's just that we have a tendency to whatever happens at night, we just call everything a dream. Uh, right. But there are different levels of uh, altered states, of awareness, of sleep, and um, and also out of body, our awareness fluctuates. It's not like we like here we're awake and we're kind of functioning all day, but when we're out there, we don't have the stability of the physical body, so our awareness can can be reduced or we can be unconscious or we can have lucidity. And it's a little bit more tricky to control that also in that state. So what we uh, teach a lot is uh, energy techniques, moving your energies up and down, um, inducing what we call a vibrational state. 
and that usually helps to, to disconnect from the denser energies and to be more within yourself and to raise up your lucidity. Interesting. So what are some of the breakthroughs that people have made uh, by learning to do this? Have you witnessed it in people's lives where they've really changed because they've learned how to, to lucid yeah. dream or have out-of-body experiences? Um, you know, people use it for different kind of reasons, uh, but it's always exciting if somebody has never had one and they just kind of wanted to have that experience and then they do and then they write us an email or they call us and say, oh, it happened last night. I tried th this technique, you know, uh, from the class and, and this and this happened and just even if it might be a very simple experience, but just uh, having being lucid outside the body and, and having that realization that confirmation uh, is important. But you know, some people use it to connect with loved ones um, that have passed away, uh, that they want to see if they're okay. Um, and some want to explore, just explore the spiritual dimensions. Um, and um, some want to communicate with their helpers or guides or mentors, or I think you call them angel beings or tall angel beings. There are all kinds of uh, those. Um, we call them mentors or helpers, but um, they usually have more existential energies and they want to um, help us, guide us, and sometimes take us even on a tour outside the body. So, um, yeah, people have the most interesting experiences and they do it for many different reasons. Some just like to do it for fun, which is okay too. Right, right. Because it is kind of fun to be able to control a dream. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, it's freedom. It's just such a freedom, like to be out of the limits of the physical body. I mean, you have experienced that in a way. It's it has a different quality for sure. Yeah. So. I have um, just one last question about that, then we'll move into some of the topics in your book. But if um, for someone who's never had a lucid dream and is curious about how to even begin, would you say to start meditating and setting that attention? Like that would be the first step? Uh, definitely the intention. Yes, having the intention, first of all, um, just by going to bed at night, normally, we just go to shut down. We don't want to even, we don't want to be aware of anything, but just kind of making that switch to uh, wanting to be aware at night and to kind of separating ourselves a little bit from the body in a way that uh, you're kind of there and you try to observe your body falling asleep and your consciousness doesn't have to go to, to sleep. We're so identified with our body that we think if, my body falls asleep, I'm asleep, but we, we can actually separate the two. Our consciousness can be awake, our body can be asleep. And kind of uh, trying to observe our body falling asleep and trying to extend that period of maybe that in-between phase of um, being awake and asleep and extend that more and more. And that's usually where a lot of things happen. Uh, so the intention and also what helps is uh, writing down experiences that happened at night. So for example, um, in the morning you wake up and you think about what happened last night. And this is just more of a conditioning for our brain, for ourselves. The more we make that um, um, regular practice, the more uh, we have, we go already to bed at night, like, okay, I'm gonna have an experience, I'm gonna write it down in the morning. And then the more we, uh, awareness we have during those states. So even if nothing happens, just write down nothing happened or I had a dream or whatever it was and you'll see um, it improves. Interesting. Very cool. So one quick thing about out-of-body experiences and maybe you've met people like this. I had a lot of spontaneous ones that were kind of trauma-induced. So one of mm -hmm. them was, was it still in my body cast and the grocery cart hit another cart and this reminded me of being in a stretcher in the hospital and so I was just out you know my body for a minute and yeah. so those aren't really exciting out-of-body experiences no. <laughs> do you guys have tips for people who because of trauma kind of fly out of their body for a moment um that actually is yeah it's kind of an escape mechanism that happens sometimes unfortunately in traumatic experiences or sometimes at birth or 
severe pain or rape, unfortunately, that people have, they just pop out of the body. Um, I don't know if I would have a suggestion. I mean, I would just say it's okay to be out of the body and that as long as your body is, is okay or if you're in, in an accident, I'd rather want to be popped out and see the accident happen without not being in it, not being in my body, but observing it from the state out of body than, than being in it. So I think it's a good mechanism. I don't know if I would change it, yeah. um, but certainly um, we do want to more encourage people to do it in a healthy way and just practice like meditation or like practice energy exercises to just do it in the same way while they're uh, body is sleeping at night or during a um, where they would normally take a nap have a period where they try to practice OBE and that can be very safe and not traumatic at all yeah that reminds me of an ER physician who told me and, and this is regarding someone else but he's like nature is kind and mm -hmm. a lot of times the spirit starts leaving you know during great pain which makes a lot of sense when yeah. people are dying or in trauma yes. that happens yeah. And I had always very a lot of fear about, um, you know, well, I'm not afraid of dying because I already had a belief in reincarnation and, and some ideas about it. I read a lot of books, but I had always had this fear of pain, you know, like what if I'm in an accident? I just don't want to feel that. So that kind of actually encouraged me to, to read near-death experiences of people who were in accidents and then most of them say they just pop right up right before and they never feel it feel the impact so that gave me comfort so that was one of the reasons of studying ndes yeah and i think just intuitively i know having had a near-death experience i was talking about how i was on a plane many years ago and it lost both engines and this is after my near-death experience and we're going down and i was comforting the people on both sides of me saying Hey, you know, we're if if we hit the ground, we're probably going to be out of our bodies before we hit the ground, and we'll just be with the light, nothing to worry about, you know. And and they were kind of looking at me like, my kids, my life, oh. you know, <laughs> freaking out. And I was like, we're going to be fine, we're going to be fine, yes. you know. Like I was just That's that was so my to have that. That was my certainty, us. you know, about what would happen in an accident like that. Yeah. That it would most likely people yeah. leave before, but. Interesting. Yeah, I just got goosebumps, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I would like to hear about your research um, for your book, Death Is Not mm -hmm. the End. So, how did you like? How many years did it take, and what did you start studying and and uh, doing to compile all of the research and information? Yes. Um, so I wrote the book in 2012. Uh, it, it was published in 2016, but I wrote it in uh, 2012, and um, uh, I think writing it was relatively easy. It just kind of poured out of me. I had uh, already read a lot. Um, maybe I would have to go back to what all the stuff that happened before. Um, but what happened before was that I uh, went through like a, a crisis, like a health crisis. And I was faced with, with potentially dying and with my own death. And so I was reading about near-death experiences. I was studying after-death communication and um, out-of-body experiences too. And um, so I had some of that knowledge. And then at some point, um, actually it was in the class that we talked about death and the death process and how there are uh, kind of three stages of death, not just a physical death, um, which happens to the physical body, but there are two more stages that can happen after and how they happen, why they happen. And that was uh, very fascinating. And it had a lot to do with uh, the attachments we have to our old life and to our body, how well we are able to move on in, in the um, afterlife um, or in the other dimensions and move on to the next life. And also how much awareness we have there. And then when I thought about that I thought well you know going through my crisis I wish I had had all this information it would have really helped me so then that's when the idea was born to write a book about it and um, I had the OBE and the out-of-body experience through the volunteering and the teaching and then my interest in near-death experiences and after-death communications just and came very easy 
Yeah, that fascinates me. Something you said about the crisis and how mm -hmm. that brought you to near-death experiences. I wonder how many people out there have experienced the same thing, you know, have had a yeah. crisis in their life, whether it's their own health crisis mm -hmm. or the loss of a loved one. But there's something about the near-death experience that comforts people and informs mm -hmm. them of, of a different way of being. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Like, what did it do? Was it just reading about them that gave you this certainty? Was it, as Ken Ring says, it's like a benign virus as near-death experiencers start, start talking about their experiences, mm -hmm. others start picking up on them on an energetic and spiritual wavelength. Was it something like that? It's definitely energetic and I always felt like it's a very high vibration or just going to the conference. I mean, you've been there, it just hearing the people speak, it seems very, um, they're not, they're usually very open and very warm and it's more about love and about acceptance and they're not so much like everybody has to be like this or you have to do this. It's, it's very open and I'm, I'm already drawn to that. Um, but also when I read about the NDEs or, or watch uh, these stories, it just, it just always resonates. And having been outside the body, it just totally makes sense. I mean, I have had this, um, vision where you see the colors very crisp and clear and, and, um, the flying through walls and things like that. Um, so it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, it's not a belief where I don't have to believe in it. It's, it's like. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're at that point, a lot of near-death experiencers say that they're not believers, they just know God and they just know the other realm. And that's what that kind of experience does for you, is it's no longer a belief, it's a spiritual reality. It was a spiritual reality the minute I stepped into it. And it sounds like your OBEs gave that to you too, yes. that this was a spiritual reality. I'm they're uh, they're not always spiritual. They're not as big or intense as uh, a new death experience because there's no death situation. There's no question about going back or not. They're usually more innocent uh, and sometimes just simple or fun. Um, but uh, what was I trying to say? Um, uh, but yes, just having that experience, you know, I am not my body. I am a consciousness that can, I can, my body can be there sleeping and I can be up here on the ceiling, you know, looking at my body sleeping. Just that alone already work can change you, you know. Yeah, so there's a section in your book that you wrote about the time between lives and a mm -hmm. lot of people speculate on this. What was some of the research and what were your findings about that time when you're choosing maybe your soul plan or your soul mission or that, that moment in between? Yes. Uh, so the period between lives is, um, I combined it from my knowledge, again, from the out-of-body experience and our research in the different dimensions and from people having traveled to the dimensions and uh, communicated with people who are between lives while being there, but also from research of Dr. Michael Newton, who um, did hypnotherapy, regressing people to the periods between lives. And uh, he is very specific, very... I ask very good questions. So uh, just reading that gives you a really good idea about what happens there. And uh, whatever he found matched, matched up with um, the people who had out-of-body experiences and uh, near-death experiences. Um, so um, from what we understand is that there are different kinds of dimensions. There are, there are also some that are, you could say, lower. Um, they're not really lower or higher or whatever, but there are some where the energies are more physical, more related to earth. And then there are some that are more um, different from, from, from earth. And so in these dimensions, uh, we end up going to um, a place, or we call it like a, our home dimension, which resonates with who we are. And uh, let's say there are thousands of dimensions, we will kind of, match up with the one that resonates with us um so if i i don't know haven't been a criminal or a terrorist I, there are certain places i won't even necessarily go i'll just skip 
those and be at uh, another plane, but we can still access those. And uh, from there, we kind of re reflect on our lives before and um, eventually prepare for our next life. So that sounds like I talked with my father in the afterlife, he's passed on and his life review seemed way more extensive than the near death experience one, which is really just, you know, giving you a few pointers on how to be you that or yeah. Yeah. So I saw that, you know, his whole life opened up yeah. and he could look at every choice and how it would have affected everything. Just Isn't that amazing. I mean, just that is, just thinking about that, you know, what every thought, every action, every choice means, really. Yeah. Not a lot of us get to see that. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting because that's kind of a heavy responsibility, but it doesn't feel heavy to him in that spirit form, mm -hmm. I can tell. He's just kind mm -hmm. of observing it like, okay, this is what my soul had the opportunity to choose and do. This is what I did. This is maybe in the next life how I'll be a little wiser, you know, in, in certain options. So he definitely wants to reincarnate, you know, like I feel that, mm -hmm. you know, with his, his spirit. And it's, it's interesting, maybe it's an extended period of time to them there where they, they really take some time to analyze mm -hmm. their mission. And, and yeah. maybe, who knows? I mean, but it, it, uh, it sounds like and also their time can be a little bit different from what we think here linear time. So somebody being 70 years in the physical body is different than somebody being 70 years between lives it has a whole different feel there's a different there's also dimensions where there's no time um, and things merge and certainly I don't know exactly all how everything works but just from my understanding uh, from the research that I had done I kind of described about the dimensions how they're set up and what um, souls or consciousnesses do between lives and how they prepare and also what sometimes could be a regret or um, yeah maybe in a way talking about the life plan whether or not they kind of fulfill that's a big topic in the near-death experiences too that people come back they feel like they still have something to do and um, that we i also found that a lot of people have made some kind of plans before coming here and it's very easy for us to to get distracted to get you know um in the hamster wheel of life and worrying about our day-to-day -day things and we forget there's uh something more besides working and, and paying our bills and all of that and um and that you know, and then the life plan doesn't necessarily have to be like a huge big mission, but it can be something like becoming a little bit more patient or uh, somebody caring for an elderly parent or um, that changes them in some kind of way. Um, so it's not always like a work necessarily. Yeah, like from my own life review, one thing that I, I saw was to look into the hearts of other people, but also not to judge them, you know, to go like, wow, people have these deep internal lives. And who knows the beauty that goes on with someone in, in someone's life. So why not extend grace to every person and see, you know, what's what they're about. So sometimes the lesson is simply just that simple, like connect with other people and be open-hearted and, and uh, look for the good in others. And that's a simple way to look at it, but it seemed to be a message from, from the afterlife. Yeah. And I understand, you know, it's very hard for us to do, very hard for me to do <laughs> uh, too, but to just kind of see like, you know, there's always a reason why people act a certain way. And, um, you know, sometimes in NDE, you can kind of see the, the, the butterfly effect a little bit more like they're like this because of the parents were like this. And we don't always see that. And we tend to judge and, you know, and I, I still do that sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I, we're not perfect. It's, it's hard uh, to, to look inside people and, and really see them for who they are. But it certainly helps to just have an understanding that, this is this this shell is or this body is it's just one of many and we've had many different bodies and many different lives we have been tall short poor rich um, 
ugly, pretty, Asian, black, all kinds of uh, races and religions and followed many gods. And that's something that comes through near-death experiences or through out-of-body experiences because we kind of get a glimpse into the back history of our soul, of our astral non-physical body that has been doing these incarnations. And then that kind of levels everything a little bit more to, okay, it's just one life, one body, one experience. It's not the uh, be all, end all, or it's not like, you know, being a German is better than being an American, for example, you know, it's like uh, we have this tendency to take everything very personal and very attached to our bodies even or to our sex or you know so many crimes in the world um, are just men still in the mindset that they can you know um, have power over women for example um so it would be good for them to have more <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they, they always... might see that they were the woman <laughs> Five kids in their past lives and they might treat their wives better right right it is interesting that genderless feeling and that you know that total disconnect from everything that we are and certainly traveling to other countries can help people expand their minds about well that's just culture that shaped that thinking or that's just you know environment but there's nothing like an OBE or an NDE to totally disconnect from all that and go like, I am my spirit, you know, that's who I am. And this body, this thing that I have to be shoved back into is really just a vehicle that's, that's yeah. carrying my consciousness. And yes, we have to love ourselves and treat ourselves well. And that's how we access more love for others. But it's still an interesting and weird phenomenon to, you know, know that spiritual reality and then be back in this yeah. body. Because in here we have the bio, the biology, we have the fears that come from our evolutionary bi biology, our instincts and uh, genes and, and all of that. Um, and um, sometimes we say uh, actually being born is more of a, a shock to the soul or to the, the consciousness um, because you're being restricted from a free, more free state into a more restricted into the body of a baby, which doesn't even have awareness yet, has, still has to grow uh, up to be a full person, have a full brain to take in all this reality. Um, where over there, it's just, it's all natural. And, and then, so it can feel restricting. And, and sometimes you, especially if you're in pain, you might just want to go out and, and leave. Um, but the idea is not to, to take it to escape life, but to have it enhance the life that, that you have. Yeah, I remember when you're talking about babies, about a year after my near-death experience, I walked into a hospital and there were, it was the nursing ward and or the infant ward, and they had huge pictures of babies on the wall. And I stopped and looked in their eyes and I was like, oh my God, you were just there. <laughs> you know, like, and I could yeah. see it, you know, they were just there and they were in shock and they were delighted and there were many things that at one yeah. point. It was very cute. And isn't it funny? Sometimes you can look at a baby and you can almost see in their face, like, what is this? You know, <laughs> kind of look like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. So back to some of the topics in your book, uh, what, what fascinated you most about near-death experiences? So what did you, how did you organize the material and what did you focus on? Um, I, wanted to really let people know what's out there that there is good research i mean that's the whole purpose of the book is to um you know i can talk about my experiences or uh but i, I what i found is that you know people say well nobody knows what happens after death but we have great studies done by uh, doctors, done by scientists. And of course you cannot prove everything scientifically because some of the things are happening in non-physical reality. So it's very hard to have hard evidence for it. But there are great studies uh, done like Dr. Pimvan Lamo, Evan Alexander, um, Bruce Grayson. And, um, and after death communications and any different kind of fields that you look into are past life memories. Uh, Ian Stevenson, who studied children remembering their past lives. 
Um, and so I found that, you know what, there is a lot of information. How come nobody knows about that? Or I, I, to me, it felt like not a lot of people knew about it. They might have believed in an afterlife or maybe because that's part of their religion, that something happens, you know, there's a heaven. But it's more like a belief. It's not like, a, well, there's actually studies. Um, so the purpose was for me more to bring a lot, as much as the studies into the book and um, so I, I touch on the different um, after-death communications, near-death experiences, and what basically what I found most interesting um, and what I think would help people. What did you think was like one of the most profound and powerful pieces of scientific evidence? So if you are categorizing things from from different people, what do you think? Like, well, if people just knew this, they surely would be convinced that the uh, definitely uh, Ian Stevenson. I mean, the uh, studying the the children who remember their past lives, but also then that they have carryover uh, scars or um, birthmarks that match the death records of the previous personality in those cases where they are able to track it and investigate this other personality and uh, they could say names and name the family and toys and things like that and that to me was like wow you know i mean even though he says it's it's not evidence but it's it's very very interesting i mean some of the information how could they know that um uh, Dr. Pin Van Lamo's book, uh, Consciousness Beyond. Beyond Consciousness or something like that. Um, and it's very, very technical, but he, it's very well done. Oh, yeah. And he goes through it and he, all the arguments you get, well, it's a hallucination, it's a lack of oxygen, you know credits them all and with hard science so I, I agree he's wonderful he's the real deal and he who brings so much information in credible ways that can't be denied and yeah. so I do direct people to yeah. his work and and that's that's important because you don't want people to veer off down paths if they're going to talk about science they need to remain you know in that yes. that realm and stick yeah. to it um the science actually doesn't interest me as much because I'm a knower, you know, I don't need to believe or have it proved to me. And I'm way more interested in the experience, you know, the energy, the, um, the personal development and the personal healing that can come from people who have had these experiences and offer uh, guidance or healing through mm -hmm. the work of their guides and angels. I think that that's just needed on this planet definitely needed and you know we don't need to convince anybody that it's real i mean no, nobody's trying to convince anybody but it it helps you know it helps to have for some people who are more um thinkers or who want who want to read the studies or see what has been done they might uh, gravitate more to that information and I'm a little bit like you. I just, to me, it it makes sense. And I, I, I'm more about what can we do with this and what does that me actually mean, right? Yeah, um, to the suffering in the world, really. Because, I mean, I've suffered, you've suffered, everyone has suffered in one way or another. And it's that spiritual realm that offers this great peace and this great love and this great yeah. freedom. And I, I feel this, like, need to give that to people you know like okay if there's any you know mission that i have it's okay there is relief you know there is healing there yeah. is connection and it's it's from that place of the divine yeah and it's probably very more easy for you because you've kind of been uh immersed in that energy and that state and you can May, you might not be able to access it all the time, but you can kind of remember what that's like and connect to it and bring it to people more. And that, that's kind of what we need all over the world. Um, yeah. And yeah. what I've found, though, is, you know, in times of deep grief, loss or trauma or, you know, even breakups, these kind of things, you can lose the light for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can literally be just cut off from mm -hmm. even yeah. someone, you know, who has a knowing of it. You, mm -hmm. You're your own depression or your own pain can be so great that 
that it's hard to connect. So I think part of the reason why near-death experiencers do have depression or do have those moments is so that we can understand like, okay, it happens. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, um, it takes over and we're human and we're broken mm -hmm. in certain moments, but there still is always a way. You know, there's the walking back toward that healing, which is meditating, praying, opening to that, being in nature, being around kind people and really developing that connection again and that it, it can happen again. Kind of like the intention. And you know, you, you feel more. I mean, they say that near-death experiencers, they just feel deeper. They can feel energies more. They can feel feelings of other people more. They're more empathic. And so then pain also is stronger, right? Not just the good feelings, but the pain uh, too. And, and, and also you see the gap. You see more of the gap from the reality that we have here and what could be or what's there and it's like we want to just like why can I be a little bit more like that and uh, and there's just still a few people trying to make that happen and hopefully we'll have have more I love that topic that bringing heaven to earth and you know yes. that idea of what is possible what are some of your dreams or hopes about bringing that energy to earth how would you see that people might be? Um, you know, I always find that it it starts with me. <laughs> you know, just with me, my own relationship, just being more loving or in my day-to-day, -day, just finding a way to just be uh, more peaceful, more kind, more loving in, in just between me and the people around me. And... Um, and then if more people can do that on their own level, then that will uh, affect everyone. Uh, so I don't try so much to, to take on the whole world, but I really see like, because I struggle with that on my own. And it's like, well, it's, it's tough some days, you know, or you just have bad thoughts and, and you don't see the light, you know, like you say, said, um, to, to remember that. And so for me, it always helps then, um, hearing these near-death experience stories because it takes you out of the personal, the small self, and it takes you to the bigger overall picture. And I like looking at the bigger overall picture that whatever's happening is, has some kind of meaning or purpose and, uh, you know, we'll get through it. And in the end, um, all is okay. Or we, we just don't know where that leads to. Uh, we only find that out looking back. Um, yeah, but yeah. Like seeing things in a greater perspective has helped me. Yeah, yeah you're definitely right about uh, the micro and the macro, you know, the, the mm -hmm. small and then the universal connection because every little thing that we do matters. How we, the thoughts we think about ourselves and in our heads affect our bodies and the way we treat others around us, you know, like creating that heaven just within our own space and in our own and our own lives is, is important. But then on that other level of just that release, I found that there's so much healing in meditation. Sometimes I've been taken to these healing rooms and felt this incredible power where there really are guides and benevolent beings there mm -hmm. who want to help me on this journey mm -hmm. and they want to help you and they want to help yeah. everyone. And it's just amazing that they exist and we only yeah. have to take the time, you know, to, to connect with them. And mm -hmm. so, that gives great joy being very, very disconnected, but then also being very conscious and present mm -hmm. of one's life. And that, that reminds me of when you were saying um, in one of your videos that you saw the, um, the guides uh, working through the surgeons or through the doctors and uh, through their wise energy, or they had maybe had a more specific knowledge that could help energetically. And I think that happens a lot. And I also think that we can do that. So for example, when you connect in that meditation to that state, that peaceful, loving state, and then you kind of send the energy out, you know, even just in your own space, but let's say you're on the bus or you're at work and you just send a little bit out of that good energy, you're kind of contributing with that. It's not visible, but it's, um, it, it can be felt. 
Yes, I, I totally believe that. But, um, you know, that's part of the lightworkers mission, too, is just on an energetic level in their towns and their apartments and their spaces, that sending of that actual energy is, is yeah. part, of, part of the healing. I have a question that maybe this will be one of the final questions, but if you encountered someone who was going through a health crisis like you went through or was just confused and didn't know what to think about the afterlife uh, or was agnostic, what's the main thing that you would want to tell them? Um, what I found going, I thought about this cause you asked me uh, what helped me in my crisis and you know, my crisis was just a mess. I mean, I, it was just, uh, I, nothing I tried really helped until I got to that moment of surrender. And it was really just a, a choice or a moment where I said, you know what, I, I, I can't do anything. I can't predict the future. I don't know what, what the outcome is going to be. I just have to surrender to and be okay and let go. And even if I die, it's okay. And if I live, that's great. Of course, I was hoping for that, but to kind of even let go of that outcome and get to this space of uh, of surrender, and then and then you can, it's almost like you find a, a, a space of of peace. And um, from my experience, I don't know if that is everybody's experience, but after that, everything changed to the positive. I mean, I had a good outcome. I survived. Um, but um, also, it was almost like a test. And then afterwards, I found a group uh, that I were ended up volunteering. A lot of great people. I I, I found um, a lot of interesting teachers and mentors. And I uh, everything kind of fell in my, into place uh, right after that. Um, so what I would recommend is to to try to get to this place of surrender where you can just be okay with whatever the outcome is. As much as it may suck to do that. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me a little bit of Anita Morjani. That can even cause healing to happen. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me some of what Anita Morjani says too, that it doesn't sometimes matter the treatment. So a lot of people contact her because she had cancer and she says, well, you know, some people go the natural route, some people go a medical route, but you have to have peace with the route that you're choosing. You know, you have to know, you know what, this is right for me right now. It feels right. My body's responding right to it, that I feel good about it. And yes. that's that she said that when you're in that place, then it's a better outcome. But there's also some peace with it too of, well, you know, no one really knows, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if yeah. near-death experiencers like Mary Neal are kept underwater for 30 minutes and survive, you know, it just was not her time, you know, yeah. and so on some level, we're just, we don't, it's not our time sometimes. And at, at some level, maybe it doesn't even matter the treatment so much, but you just have to find, like you said, find what feels right to you, you know, and you'll be guided. I, I definitely found that I've been guided to books, to certain things um that helped me and to listen to that and always weigh different options i i was very black and white at the time like it's either this or that but what i found is it doesn't have to be this like western medicine or alternative but you can do both or you can do a combination you know um and, and that's okay you know as long as you feel like okay i can go with this i can be okay with that and then there will still be fears but then uh, at least you have some peace of mind and, and, and listen to yourself, right? Because people are going to give you a hundred suggestions, all kinds of things to do, but you just have to feel right with it. Well, I think going through a health crisis at a young age makes you wiser and in certain ways, just like having a NDE at a younger age, you know, like just adds a different perspective on the life process because most people are in denial of death for so long you know yeah. then they're busy and they're raising kids and they're doing this and they're just they stay in denial and then there's a little bit of you know the the process uh that you know the stages you could like look at all of life as the stages of mm -hmm. um of grief because then there's acceptance mm -hmm. and when you're faced with a health crisis or a near-death experience 
you jump straight to acceptance eventually. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to die someday, you know, like, and, and you're just, you're okay with it. And you're like, because I'm going to love every minute that I have, and I'm going to, you know, enjoy this and make this meaningful in, in various ways. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, that happens to a lot of people that something has to happen, like somebody in the family gets cancer or dies or they get a diagnosis themselves or something tragic happens. It's like a wake up call. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, um, it's not certain that we're around tomorrow. And uh, what am I doing? What am I doing every day? And what does... Um, what do I want to do? What's, what can I do? And start to ask more of those, those questions. So unfortunately that happened for me in that way. And, and it seems to happen quite a bit this way. Um, yeah. I have a, one final question and then we'll end this. So certainly the lucid dreaming and out of body experiences have been very healing and informative for you. Is there anything else that uh, you were drawn to as far as healing modalities or, or uh, anything in the spiritual community that really brought you a lot of comfort? Um, healing, oh my God, I tried so many different things that helped at some certain point. Uh, like Theta healing helped me to get through my fears. Um, I don't use it anymore, but I used it at the time. I like hypnotherapy. and uh, But I really enjoy... Um, like uh, David Hawkins's book, he has a book called Letting Let Go, uh, which just has a little bit of psychology in it, but it, he walks you through all the emotion, but it's very, to me, also a very high vibration kind of uh, book, which helped me a lot. And so for me, it's more about um, healing from not so much with diet or ex. I mean, I do all those things. I do yoga and keep my body healthy, but I think it has a lot to do with our mind and our state of mind and to getting to that place where you just don't get triggered as much and you can keep your, stay centered and keep more calm and sometimes dis disconnect it. Don't take things so personal. And so that's what I'm trying to learn. Uh, and I feel like that's just going to help in every area of life with the body is going to benefit from it and uh, people around us going to benefit from that. Wonderful. That's wonderful advice. I might provide some of the links below uh, to those videos in your book and your website as well, but thank you for talking thank with you, me Tisha. and um, may you be blessed everyone who's watching and please also check out, there's an intuition class with David, um, with Daniel Garo and his wife, Sylvie Garo, and they are teaching people to open more to their intuition. They're both Reiki healers, but uh, thank you so much. <laughs> and well, thank you, Trisha. May you be blessed.